Welcome. You're listening to But Seriously, What is Engineering? With me, Kartiki Gupta. This is a podcast series from the University of Queensland that explores all corners of engineering. When it comes to tackling the problems of tomorrow, science fiction often has us looking to the stars for solutions. Today we talk to UQ Professor Chen Ming Wang, who has floating an idea closer to home. Welcome to you, Professor Wang. It's great to be here. Tell us about your research work in the field of civil engineering. The field of civil engineering is quite broad discipline. It covers structural engineering, geotechnical engineering, transport engineering, water and environmental engineering, coastal engineering, as well as fire safety engineering. I specialize in the area of structural engineering, and my research interests uh, in structures include structural stability, vibration, optimization, plated and shell structures, nanostructures, and very large floating structures. So I'm keen to hear a bit more about the research work you've done in very large floating structures. Well, this is a very exciting field that I got interested in the year 2000 when I went to Kyoto University under the Japan Promotion for, for Sciences, being attached to the structural lab of Professor Ichi Watanabe, who is the leading proponent of very large floating structures at that time. He was the uh, key uh, leader in the Megafloat project. This Megafloat project is a project to check or to test out the feasibility of having a floating airport. So they constructed uh, a floating structure that measures one kilometer in length and about 120 meters in width to, uh, as, a, as a model runway f- for small aeroplanes. And the task is to, f- to figure out whether the pitching motion, the yawing, the surging, the rolling action of the floating structure will affect the equipment that helps the plane to, to land or to take off. Uh, the project was a success and it was folded up in, in the year 2000. And since then, it has been broken up in pieces. So when I was there, I saw this technology, they call it the VLFS technology or Very Large Floating Structure Technology. That time I was a professor at the National University of Singapore. And you know, Singapore is a land gas country. So having seen this technology, I said, well, this is the solution for Singapore to create more land from the sea instead of just using land reclamation, which becomes very, very expensive when the water depth gets beyond 25 meters. So that's how I got interested in very large floating structures. Tell us about your research that you've done into the very large floating structures. When I look at the very large floating structures, I was wondering how they they analyze such a a mega structure. And it turns out that the modeling, the mathematical modeling, is simply to treat it like a a very large plate. When I talk about plate, I'm talking about structural plates, not not the plates that you have on your table. (laughs) Treat it like a a very large plate and look at the other ages are completely free. And we do what we call a hydroelastic analysis on such a plate model. Hydroelasticity means there's deformation of the structure due to the wave action because of very being very, very large and very thin, it deforms under action of waves. That kind of analysis interests me because I, li- I love mathematics and science, so it fits my, my personality and, and I enjoy working on it. So I start to explore about uh, the area of hydroelasticity and, and start to investigate how we could reduce the hydroelastic uh, response of the structure by introducing all kinds of attachments, such as skirtings, 
such as moon pools, uh, flexible connections, and so on. The most satisfying aspect of my research is that it gets implemented in real-world applications. So I was approached by the Ministry of Defence in Singapore to help them to design, analyse and design the very large floating performance stage at Marina Bay. We went about doing it and it was constructed about 14 years ago and it was placed on the Marina Bay. It's the world's largest floating performance stage. So that was very satisfying to see that your research ultimately get applied to a real-world problem. And also I had the great opportunity to, to work with the Housing Development Board to create the floating wetlands for Singapore. You know, in Singapore, they try to create a Venice look atmosphere to their townships. So they constructed a canal right through the precinct. And they discovered that it's pretty sterile when you look out the, of the apartments. They want to create more bus in the, on, the, on the waterway, the Pungal waterway. So they thought of creating these uh, floating wetlands to bring about pond animals and birds and so on to that place to create greater vibrancy. So we went about uh, designing these uh, floating wetlands. It's made of HDPE, high-density polyethylene material, like a, like a rubber butt. It can withstand uh, the harsh environment uh, under UV light. It doesn't degrade that easily. So we make it in the shape of hexagonal, and there's a, a hole, perforated hole in the center to put up water plants in it. By joining this hexagonal, uh, which is about, each, each unit is about one meter diameter, so it's easier for someone to carry it. It's not too heavy. They have a male and female connector system with pins, so they are locked in together. And once you have these hexagonal shaped units locked together, it's pretty stiff. What we did was um, we put a coconut husk on top of it, and then we put the water plants, and we held it in place by mooring lines, just nylon ropes anchored to some concrete blocks and place it underneath the, the canal. And it, within a year or two, the plants were flourishing, not only bring about the animals and so on, otters as well as you know frogs, all kinds of animals there. They also clean the, the waterway because the plant chosen has the capability to remove the nitrates and uh, toxic substances in the, in the canal. So that was also very satisfying. And now it has since been utilized to make wet, wetlands in the area of Pulau Ubing, very, very large area, to create a, a natural habitat for heron, the bird's heron. And also they'll be using it to put for floating photovoltaics on the sea. That research is so fantastic and you must feel so proud to actually see what final product um, in the design that you've been involved in. And I have actually been to Singapore at Marina Bay Sands and that looks absolutely beautiful. Right. So obviously your research has taken you around the world. Tell us how you've managed all of that travel um, given your, you know, your daily tasks that you, you undertake as well. One of the reasons why I become an academic is that I enjoy the freedom it offers. <laughs> Nobody really tells you what to do, so you just decide what you want to do. So, And so because of that freedom, I'm able to, uh, to go to places that uh, not only to, to give a talk or to, for a meeting, to be the examiner of a, of a graduate student and so on, but you also get to see and enjoy the place and, the, and meet people. People are very, very interesting all over the places. So if, if for, for my audience... I encourage all of you to travel if you have the financial capability to do so because traveling is the best investment you can give to yourself. It's very, very highly educational. So in my trips I've, I've made, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of things 
and it has blown my mind. You know, I did not know that the corn that you take, I always thought that it's yellow color, but I didn't know that it, it, it comes in purple color as well. You know, I didn't know that uh, cucumber could be circular in shape. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that you see when you travel. So uh, the more I, I travel, the humbler I get because I realize that hey, I, don't, I don't know what I think about this world. There's so many, many exciting things. You've given multiple keynote speeches at international conferences. Mm-hmm. Tell us about one of your favorite or proudest public speaking moments. Last year was in Italian, somewhere in China near the Manchuria province. And I was invited as a keynote speaker of, for this group of educationists. There are about 3,000 delegates there. So I spoke on a topic called Floating Solutions for Challenges Facing Humanity. Before my, my, my talk, was everything was pretty dry until I came over and I showed a lot of pictures and showed the, the enormous exciting things that you can do with floating structures and, and giving you all kinds of, uh, solving all kinds of problems from energy to water to food, creating jobs and so on. And after the talk, the, the organizer told the mayor and the mayor said, I got to see this Professor Wang, bring him over. Ushered in before I know, kind of kidnapped and proceeded with his entourage with, uh, with riders, uh, uh, you know, showing the way and brought to this location, restaurants, to have a one-to-one talk with him. So I had a very good time with the mayor, telling him how he can make his seafood production much more uh, productive. So I hope that he, he implements some of my ideas. <laughs> but anyway, and, and, and another occasion is that I was in um, Yildiz University in Istanbul. I was giving a keynote lecture there. And uh, what is fascinating is the, is the environment, the ambience. Formerly, it was a palace of a sultan. You know, during the Ottoman Turks, they had these sultans and so on. So I was there in one of the palaces, but the palace has now become a university. So I gave a talk with very, very interesting chandeliers and all that, you know, all the fittings of a palace. Uh, that's quite unusual to to have a lecture room of that kind of... Uh, That's incredible. Uh, I can't even imagine that. Yes. <laughs> After having completed an undergrad degree in engineering, mm. what was one of the moments that made you pursue further study? I was not thinking of doing further study, but while I was in my final year, my graduate supervisor by the name of Professor George Rosvani actually saw potential in me. So he headhunted me virtually and, uh, and continued to woo me and gave me an exciting project. The research question is to, to discover the optimal shape of an arch that has the least weight to carry a certain uh, load distribution. I discovered this shape for him and the optimality condition. It was very, very exciting because when the, those days we didn't have the cat and so on, we have a printer and I fit the equation in when the plotter plot out the shape, I thought to myself, I'm the first person to see the optimal shape of an arch as the plotter reveals the shape. It was so, so exciting that I thought, wow, research is something so intriguing and nice. And in addition with my continual prompting of my uh, supervisor, Professor Rosmani, I decided to, to proceed to do research under him. So I did my master's and PhD under his, his supervision. So that's opened up my 
my career. It, it takes one person to give you that confidence to pursue further study and cement that that's decision true. of going further into academia. Yeah, that's true. I'm keen to hear from you, what's some advice that you would give to students who want to pursue a career in engineering? If you are very good in mathematics and science, you have actually two main options. One is to go into a, to do science in either chemistry, biology or, or physics. The other is to go into engineering, which is again a very broad field, you know, involving civil, mechanical, electrical, materials, biomedical, industrial and system engineering, and so on. A lot of students are confused as to which branch or, or field that they should go in, science or engineering. They are quite different actually, these two worlds. Let me explain in a very simple way that everybody can understand the difference between science and engineering. Now, the scientist aims to know. So they're in the business of knowledge creation, testing the frontier of knowledge and opening up new fields and so on. Engineers, on the other hand, aims to do. So they are the ones that apply the, the, the knowledge uh, that the scientists uh, discovered and put it into, into good use in a very creative and innovative way. So the engineers design things. Scientists don't design things. <laughs> the word design belongs to the engineering domain. So we are very, very good. To the engineers, we can live with some inconsistent or not so well established or, or proven theories. To the engineer, we are very pragmatic as long as it works. We test it in the, in the field, it comes, you know, the results are in the ballpark. We're pretty happy. So we will adopt a theory with its problems. And if it does give us good, uh, reasonable good results, uh, we, are, we can fly with it. So engineers are very, very uh, people who are very uh, pragmatic, unlike uh, scientists who are really idealist. <laughs> they need to prove everything. The mathematicians are even worse. <laughs> they want precisions. They say that, well, if you take two prime numbers, you add it, you get a, an even number. Well, to us, it's obvious, but they say, no, no, you've got to prove it. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that, CM. Yeah. I love that advice yes. and the difference between scientists and engineers. And I 100% agree with you. I'm a structural engineer myself, that engineers use the knowledge to design things that are valuable to society and help uh, make better societies and mm. communities around us. So, mm. I want um, to add, Katika, that engineers are wealth creators. We really built tangible things that really brought about the improvement of lives. Other profession, I won't say which profession, they redistribute some of the wealth, but they don't create new wealth <laughs> like engineers. I mean, tangible wealth yeah, yeah. for a country. I completely agree with you. That's, that's some great advice, CM. Now, I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, CM, today. It's been mm -hmm. such a fantastic podcast. I'm keen to hear from you. What's life advice you would give to your peers or even your PhD students here at university? You know, there's many, many good advice being given to young people. But one advice that uh, struck me was when I watched Indian movie called entitled The Three Idiots. Now, for those who are aspiring to do engineering, if you haven't watched this movie, The Three Idiots, you should try to, to get hold of this movie. I think you can get it from YouTube and watch it. It's so enlightening. Uh, and it talks about engineering and so on. But what I liked about is the advice in that movie 
that was given to to the people, and that is uh, always make quality as your hallmark. That means you chase after quality, and then success will ultimately follow. So you don't have to worry about success. Just ensure that whatever you do, you do it well and of high quality, and people will appreciate it, and the wealth, recognition, money, and so on will just come to you. I see this happening in my life. When I start to research, I'm nobody. I just did my work, and you discover that many years pass by, and nothing quite happened. But you keep on continuing to work on it, and then suddenly something struck, some great ideas, and it opens up completely a, a new paradigm, a new way of thinking of doing things. And everybody get excited and start to quote you, and that gives you confidence. And then you break through again and break through. So the breakthrough continues to to come after your first break. It's just like getting awards. The first award is so difficult to get, but once you get the first award, the confidence level rises so much. The the, the subsequent awards come quite fast. It's like you are building up a water behind a dam, and suddenly the dam burst, and the water gush up so fast that you couldn't. You can cope with it. Uh, your recognitions and your reputation rise up exponentially. Do not be discouraged when nothing's happening. Continue to pursue and make whatever you're doing becoming better and better. And try to find that that special, the passion of yours. Work through it and and work at it until it's of the highest quality. And then things will break up for you. That is fantastic advice, CM. And I 100% agree with you. Keep working hard, keep doing your best, and you won't even know it, but success will strike you at different points in your life. And everyone has setbacks in life, but you just got to be resilient and keep working through them. So yes. that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. But before we end this episode, we want to get to know you a bit better. So we hmm. have a fast facts uh, segment. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> What's an interesting cuisine you've tried? I've tried horse meat in Norway. Oh, wow. Which is, well, it tastes like steak, though. But anyway, it's quite interesting to try different things, yeah. Yeah. If you could instantly become an expert at something, what would it be? I told myself that if I did not become an academic, the next uh, profession that I would like to be is to be in the... Um, tourism industry. Of course, now tourism is not so good, but you know, I like to be in the tourism industry because it deals with making people happy. And I like to, to be really good at it, how to make people happy. And finally, uh, what's your biggest inspiration? My biggest inspiration is to be able to, to see whatever I'm doing gets implemented. So I'm working on a very large floating forest at the moment and also the floating offshore fish farms. Hopefully, these two uh, research uh, ideas that I've been working on get implemented in new course. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, CM. It was great to have you, great to chat with you. Thanks once again. It's my pleasure. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a review. It'll help others to find the series. My name is Katiki Gupta.